Welcome back, Heming Brainiacs, to the Heming Brainiac List podcast, book two, chapter three of War and Peace, although I did accidentally write book two, chapter two, because I'm a silly dum-dum. Um, so, sorry if you couldn't find the post today to comment. I did notice there's quite a few fewer comments because people were probably confused where they should leave their comments. That's my bad. Um, this chapter ends with a joke that Prince Andre calls immature and naive. Do you think the officers of the Tsar's army's joke was more from a position of naivety, nervousness, or satisfaction at seeing Austria humiliated? The majority of officers in the Tsar's army disliked him and considered him a cold, conceited, and disagreeable man. Given that the general seems to like the prince as an aide de camp, do you believe that Prince Andre is a successful officer so far? I think it's the general who was disagreeable and cold and all those things, wasn't it? Not the Tsar. The Tsar is like the king, the emperor, I think. That's my understanding. Um, M-C says, Prince Andre was so miserable at home in society and seems to really be thriving at the front. The dude even smiles sometimes, which never happened in the presence of his wife or at a party. The book is called War and Peace, but doesn't specify which is which. Huh, that's um, interesting. That's a, a good point. Prince Andre seems more at peace, at war, and more at war, by which I mean in the turmoil, war with oneself, when at peace. That's a really good point. I never thought about, that, about it like that, but that's, yeah, spot on. Um, oh my god, by the way, <laughs> America, I love you guys. <laughs> um, I know I've, I've rolled my eyes at some of the headlines coming out of America sometimes, but I take all that back and all I can say is the entertainment factor of what America has been doing in the last year, it's just, you can't, you can't beat that, you know. And then over the last three or four days, watching um, the Wall Street bets guys ruin <laughs> the hedge funds with those GME stocks has been one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen. Um, my God, well done, well done. If any of you guys are part of that, that's because I know you know we're all on Reddit, so you can't avoid it at the moment. If you're on Reddit, you've seen these headlines. Um, nicely done. To be honest, I tried to um, to buy a couple of GME stocks just to just to do my part, you know, just to chip in my hundred dollars or so of whatever it could be um, <laughs> to support you guys taking down the hedge funds. But I can't manage to um, open an account because I don't. I've never really done share trading, so you need to open an account, and all the accounts sort of take three or more business days before you can start trading so it's kind of like uh, I've missed the boat a bit so if any of you Americans want to uh, buy me a GME stock or two I'll um, you know I'll thank you <laughs> that's how you can support the podcast today buy me GME stock and hold it with your diamond hands as they say over at Wall Street bets Chelsea Cadoo says I could really see the similarities Similarities between Prince Andre and his father during this exchange, the outburst that surprised his friends and the fact that he was angry at their jokes just makes me think of Prince Bolkonsky and his no-nonsense approach to life, also his temper. This is chapter 3, right? Says Ripster66. Yes, indeed it is. Sorry about the confusion. Um, 
I think the ill-timed joke came from a com- combination of immaturity, Russian pride, and complete ignorance of the consequence of military defeat. Yeah, I think so. I think it was um, satisfaction at seeing the Austrians be defeated, even though they were sort of allies. I guess they're kind of, at the same time, weirdly competing. And um, yeah, it was just in a poor taste, that joke. Um, What else? What else? I really haven't liked much these first few chapters of book two. Um, First of all, in the actual book, these are difficult chapters. So hold on, guys. If you're thinking of throwing it in now, um, you know, if you're not enjoying these chapters, it gets better. You know, book one is awesome. The start of book two is one of the hardest sort of bits of the book to get through. It just has this real change of pace and it throws you into war. And the, war, the to start with, especially book two, the war bits aren't that entertaining. Um, so this, I don't know, probably the next few chapters up until maybe I'd say, I don't know, book two, book two chapter, um, you know, maybe eight or nine or ten ish. Um, it does slow down. But then after that point, once we get to chapter 8 or something like that, it does start to pick up again and it gets really good again. So hold on. Some of my favourite bits of War and Peace. Some of, I mean, I think a lot of my favourite scenes from the whole book are during the war scenes. So um, it, it does pay off. It's really, really good. And also, soon enough, we'll go back to society and see what's going on over in Petersburg and Moscow. Um, but the other reason I was saying I don't like these first few chapters of book two is because um, the translation, my translation work on it, I feel like I, it's very, very rough. And I really want to go back over it and spruce it up, but I haven't had time and I'm trying to keep ahead with the chapters and work on you know, future chapters. So... Um, I'm kind of using the reading of them in the podcast as a bit of a chance to almost edit them on the fly as well. Um, So yeah, Uh, I just wanted to sort of say that, I guess. All right, I think let's read the next chapter, chapter four. Let's get it done, hey? Goes like this. The Pavlograd Hussars were stationed a couple of miles from Brunel. Young Nicholas Rostov was serving as a cadet in one of the squadrons, and his squadron was quartered in the German village of Salzenich. By the way, Nicholas Rostov was one of the Rostov kids. We met them on Natasha's name day, uh, and he was the one that was in love with his cousin Sonia, and also with Julie Karagin, who was the girl who was writing letters to Maya. Um, she was writing letters about how much she loves Nicholas. He's got such a pure soul. But he's made a little pact with his um, cousin that he loves her. So there you go. Just to remind you who he was. Um, cavalry Captain Denisov, the squadron commander around the cavalry division, he was known as Vaska Denisov, well, he was a lucky duck because he had the best quarters in the village. Cadet Rostov, ever since... He'd joined the regiment in Poland, had lived with the squadron commander. On October 11th, whilst everyone over at HQ was going berserko because Mac and his lot had gotten their asses kicked, camp life in Rostov's squadron was pretty much normal. Denisov, who'd been getting his ass handed to him at cards all night, 
wasn't back yet when young Rostov rode home from his early morning foraging expedition. Rostov in his cadet uniform, with a yank at the reins, fanged his horse over to the porch, kicked his leg over the saddle, really agile-like because he still had young knees, stood in the stirrup for a moment as if not wanting to leave his horse, and then finally hopped down and shouted out to his orderly, Hey, Bandarenko, mate, said he to the hussar who rushed over to him and straight up to the horse. Give him a walk up and down, would you? He continued, and he spoke with that brotherly cheerfulness that good-hearted youngsters show everyone when they're in a good mood. Yes, Your Excellency, answered the Ukrainian happily, tossing his head. Make sure you give him a good walk up and down. Another hussar rushed towards the horse, but Bondarenko had already thrown the reins of the snaffle bridle over the horse's head. One thing was clear, Cadet Rostov was a generous tipper, and it paid to help him out. Rostov gave the horse's neck a pat and then his flank, and lingered a moment. Bloody ripper, he's going to be a hell of a horse, he thought, with a proud smile, and holding up his sabre, his spurs jingling, he ran up, to the, he ran up the steps of the porch. His landlord was there, clearing shit from the cowhouse in a waistcoat and pointed cap, and pitchfork in hand, looked over to Rostov, his face immediately brightening up. Sean good morgan, Sean good morgan. Very good morning, very good morning, he said, with a wink and a big grin. He was stoked to see the young man. Sean Flessig, busy already, said Rostov, matching the landlord's stokedness. Hock Oistricher, Hock Rusin, Hock Alexander Hock. Hurrah for the Austrians, hurrah for the Russians, hurrah for the Emperor Alexander. He continued, quoting what the German landlord himself often said. The German laughed, came out of the cow shed, took off his hat, his cap, and waved it above his head. Und die ganze Welt's Horsch, he cried, and hurrah for the whole world. Rostov waved his hat above his head too, and laughing, he replied, Und vivat die ganze Welt. Neither the landlord shoveling cow shit nor Rostov, who'd been foraging for hay since Sparrow's fart, had any reason to be so stoked, but still they looked at each other with so much damned joy and brotherly love that you'd think they were about to make out, and they wagged their head in token and they wagged their heads in token of their mutual affection. Sorry, I'm just correcting my spelling. <clears throat> And they wagged their heads in token of their mutual affection and left each other smiling, the German going back to his cowshed and Rostov going to the cottage he was staying at with Denisov. "'Where's your master at?' he asked Lavrushka, Denisov's orderly, whom everyone in the regiment knew to be a bit of a loose cunt. Ooh, C-bomb. <laughs> uh, "'Haven't seen him since the evening, probably on a losing streak,' answered Lavrushka. I know by now. If he wins, he'll head straight home to brag about it. But if he's out all night, it's because he's losing, so he'll come home in a hissy fit. Did you want a coffee? Yeah, bring some. Ten minutes later, Lavrushka brought the coffee. Here he comes, said he. Brace yourself. Rostov looked out the window and saw Denisov coming home. He was a small fellow, Denisov, with a red face, sparkly black eyes, and a black tussled moustache and hair. He had his cloak flapping open, with wide breeches hanging down in creases, and a fucked shako on the back of his head. He came sauntering up the porch, all gloomy, his head hanging. Lavuska, he shouted angrily. Get this shit off me, you dickhead.
I bloody am, replied Lubushka. Oh, you're up early, said Denisov, entering the room. Been up for ages, answered Rostov. Already been for the hay, and seen Fraulein Matilda. Wheelie, I've been getting my ass whooped at cards, bother. I lost yesterday, and like a bloody idiot, cried Denisov, not pronouncing his R's. Worst bloody luck, I tell you what. Started after you left and went on. Hello there, tea. He puckered up his smiling face, showing his short, strong teeth, and started ruffling up his tangled black hair with his stubby fingers. I don't know what possessed me to play with the what, with the wat, he said, and by that he meant an officer whose nickname was the Rat. He rubbed his forehead and then his whole face with both hands. Bloody bastard! You wouldn't believe it. He didn't even let me win a single card, not one. He reached for the lit pipe that was offered to him, grabbed it, and tapped it on the door on the floor, making sparks go flying while he continued shouting. He lets you win the singles and the collars, yet as soon as it doubles. Gives you a singles and snatches the doubles. He scattered the burning tobacco, smashed the pipe, and then piffed it. Then he went silent for a bit, and all at once looked cheerfully at Rostov, his black eyes glittering. Why can't we at least have some women here? There's nothing for us to do but twink. If only we could get to fighting soon. Hey, who's there? He said, turning to the door as he heard some heavy boots thumping nearer with clinking spurs and coming to a stop, then a respectful clearing of the throat. The squadron quartermaster, said Lavrushka. Denisov's face puckered even more. Damn it, he muttered, throwing down a purse with some gold in it. Wostov, mate, see how much is in there? Is, see how much there is left and shove the purse under the pillow, he said, and went out to the quartermaster. Rostov took the money and systematically counted it out into separate piles of new and old coins. Hey, Talyanin, how are you? They screwed me over last night, came Denisov's voice from the next room. Where? At Bikov's? The bloody rat, I knew it, replied a piping voice, a lieutenant Talyanin. A small officer of the same squadron came into the room. Rostov quickly shoved the purse under the pillow and looked and shook the wet little hand which was offered to him. Talyanin had for some reason been transferred to their squadron from the guards just before their campaign. He be behaved himself well enough in the regiment, yet still everyone thought he was a wanker. Rostov especially thought he was a massive wanker, for no real reason, and he did a pretty crap job of hiding it. Get a young cavalryman, how's my rook behaving? he asked. Rook was a young horse that Talyanin had sold to Rostov. He had shifty eyes, this lieutenant, and never looked at the man he spoke to in the eye. Saw you riding him this morning, he added. Oh yeah, he's all right, a good horse, answered Rostov, though the horse in question was not worth half of the 700 rubles he had paid for it. His left foreleg has started playing up a bit, he added. Sounds like a cracked hoof. No biggie, I'll show you what to do and what kind of a rivet you'll need. Yeah, that'd be rad, said Rostov. I'll show you, I'll show you, it's not a secret. You'll thank me for this horse, trust me. No worries, I'll have it brought round, said Rostov, mostly just wanting to get away from Talyanin. He went out to give the order. He passed Denisov in the passage, who was squatting with a pipe on the threshold, facing the quartermaster who was reporting to him. When he saw Rostov, he screwed up his face and pointed his thumb over his shoulder towards the room where Talyanin was sitting, giving a shudder of disgust. Oh, I fucking hate that guy, he said not caring that the quartermaster could hear him. 
Rostov shrugged his shoulders as if to say, yeah, same, but what can you do? And having given his order, went back to Talyanin. Talyanin was sitting in the same slacker pose in which Rostov had left him, rubbing his small white hands. I guess some people really are pieces of shit, thought Rostov as he entered. Did you tell him to bring the horse? asked Talyanin, looking up and having a lazy look around the room. Yep. Sweet ass, let's go then. I only came round to ask Denisov about yesterday's order. Have you got it, Denisov? Not yet. Where are you off to? I want to teach this young man how to shoe a horse, said Talyanin. They went through the porch and into the stable. The lieutenant explained how to rivet the hoof and then nicked off to his own quarters. When Rostov got back, there was a bottle of vodka and a snag on the table. Denisov was sitting there, scratching his pen on a sheet of paper. He looked gloomily to Rostov and said, I'm writing to her. He leaned his elbows on the table with his pen in his hand and, clearly glad to have a chance to say quicker in words what he wanted to write, told Rostov what he was writing. You see, matey, he said, we sleep when we don't love. We're children of the dust, but if we fall in love, we become gods, as pure as the first day of creation. Who's that now? Time to piss off, he shouted to Lavrushka who went up to him, not in the least phased. Who do you think it is? You told him to come yourself. It's the quartermaster for the money. Denisov frowned and was about to shout some reply, but stopped. Wretched business, he muttered to himself. How much is left in the purse? he asked, turning to Rostov. Seven new and three old imperials. Ah, this sucks. Well, why are you just standing there, you scale quo? Call the quartermaster, he shouted to Lavrushka. Please, Denisov, let me lend you some. I've got some, you know, said Rostov, blushing. Not into it. Don't like borrowing from my mates. Frowled. Frowled? Growled? Growled? Denisov. But if you don't take my money, like a comrade, I'll be offended. Really, I've got money, Rostov repeated. Nah, I said no. And Denisov went to get the purse from under the pillow on the bed. Rostov, where'd you put it? Under the bottom pillow. It's not there. Denisov threw both pillows on the floor. The purse wasn't there. Well, I'll be buggered. Wait, you must have dropped it, said Rostov. Oh, wait. Wait, you must have dropped it, said Rostov, picking up the pillows one at a time and shaking them. He pulled off the quilt too and gave it a shake. No luck. Bugger me. Did I forget to... No, no. I remember thinking that you kept it under your head like a treasure, said Rostov. I put it just... Where'd it go? he asked, turning to Lavrushka. I haven't been in the room. It must be where you put it. But it isn't. That's so like you, throwing things down and forgetting where. Feel your pockets. No, because I remember thinking the thing about the treasure, said Rostov. I remember putting it there. Lavrushka turned all the bedding over, looked under the bed and under the table, searched everywhere and stood still in the middle of the room, Denisov silently watched, and when Lavrushka threw up his arms as if to say, Well, beats me, Denisov glanced at Rostov. Rostov, have you been playing schoolboy twicks? Rostov felt Denisov's gaze fixed on him, raised his eyes and instantly dropped them again. All the blood from somewhere below his throat seemed to rush to his face and eyes. He couldn't breathe. And it was only you and the lieutenant in here. It must be somewhere, said Lavrushka. Quick then, you maniac, look alive and hunt for it shouted Denisov, suddenly turning purple and rushing at the man to staunch off his face. If you don't find the purse, I'll belch you. I'll belch you all. 
Rostov, avoiding the eyes of Denisov, started buttoning his coat, buckled on his sabre, and put on his cap. I need that purse, I tell you, shouted Denisov, shaking his orderly by the shoulders and shoving him up against the wall. Denisov, leave him alone. I know he's taken it, said Rostov, going toward the door without raising his eyes. Denisov stopped, thought a second, suddenly figured out what Rostov meant, seized his arm. No way, he cried, and the veins in his forehead and neck stood out like cords. You're crazy, I swear, I won't allow it. The purse has to be here. I'll flay the bastard alive and bloody find it. I know who's taken it, repeated Rostov in, a, in an unsteady voice and went to the door. And I'm telling you, don't you doubt do it, shouted Rostov, rushing at the cadet to restrain him. But Rostov yanked his arm away and suddenly full of rage as if Denisov were his worst enemy, firmly looked in his eyes. Do you even know what you're saying? He said in a trembling voice. It was only me and him in this room, so if he doesn't have it then... He couldn't finish and ran out of the room. Right, go to hell then, all of you, were the last words Rostov heard. Rostov went to Talianin's quarters. The master is not in. He's gone to the headquarters, said Talianin orderly. Is something wrong? He added, surprised at the cadet's troubled face. Nope, all good. You've only just missed him, said the orderly. The headquarters were about two miles from Selznick, and Rostov, without bothering to go home first, took a horse and rode there. There was an inn in the village, which the officers liked drinking at. Rostov rode up to it and spotted Talianin's horse at the porch. In the second room of the inn, the lieutenant was sitting over a dish of sausages and a bottle of wine. Hey, fancy seeing you here, young man, he said, smiling and raising his eyebrows. Yep, said Rostov, as if it took a toll on him to say that one word. And he sat down at the nearest table. Both were silent. There were two Germans and a Russian officer in the room. No one said anything. You could only hear the clatter of knives and the munching of the lieutenant. When Talianin had finished his lunch, he took a double purse from his pocket and drawing its rings aside with his small white upturned fingers, he took out a gold imperial and lifting his eyebrows gave it to the waiter. Be quick, please, he said. The coin was new. Rostov rose and went up to Talianin. Give us a look at your purse, would you? He said in a low, almost inaudible voice. Talianin's eyebrows stayed up. His eyes shifted here and there, and he handed him the purse. Yep, yep, it's a nice purse, yep. He said, growing suddenly pale, and added, Have a look, young man. Rostov took the purse in his hand, examined it and the money in it, and looked at Talianin. The lieutenant was looking around the room in his usual way and suddenly seemed to become overly cheerful. If we go to Vienna, I'll get rid of it there. But in these shitty little towns, there's nowhere to spend it, said he. Anyway, give us it back. I've got to go. Rostov did not speak. What are your plans? You're going to have lunch here? Decent-sized meals here, continued Talianin. Anyway, can I have that back? He stretched out his hand to take the purse. Rostov let go of it. Talianin took it and started carelessly slipping it into his pocket of his riding breeches. His eyebrows raised and his mouth slightly open. As if to say, yeah, that's right, I'm putting my purse in my pocket, what's it to you? Well, young man, he said with a sigh, and from under his lifted brows he looked at Rostov's eyes. Some flash, like an electrical spark, shot from Talianin's eyes to Rostov's and back, and back again and again in an instant. Come here, said Rostov, grabbing Talianin by the arm and almost dragging him to the window. That money belongs to Denisov, you took it, he whispered, just above Talianin's ear. What? Get fucked, how dare you? What? said Talianin, 
But these words were like a hopeless, gutless cry, like a beg for mercy. As soon as Rostov heard them, any remaining doubt left him. He was relieved, but at the same time, he suddenly pitied the miserable sod who stood before him. But he knew he had to finish what he'd started. God knows what the people here might imagine, muttered Tonin, taking up his cap and moving towards a small empty room. We must have an explanation. I know you took it and I'll prove it, said Rostov. I... Every muscle in Tonin's pale, terrified face began to quiver. His eyes, still downcast, shifted from side to side, and he started to cry like a baby. Count, don't ruin my life. Here's the bloody money, take it. He threw it on the table. I have an old father and a mother. Rostov took the money, avoiding Tonin's eyes, which wasn't hard, and left the room without a word. But at the door he stopped and turned back. Oh God, he said, his own eyes welling up. How could you do it? Count, said Tonin, drawing close to him. Don't touch me, said Rostov, pulling away. If you need the money so bad, take it. And he piffed the purse at him and ran, ran off out of the inn. All right, there you go. Another chapter for you. Young Rostov seeing a little bit of action, a little bit of civil f f yeah, fighting within his own squad. All right, guys, thanks for listening to that one. Um, I'll see you tomorrow.